Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. Adam Jacquez and Tyler Burton with you this evening. Corbin, out on honeymoon for the, uh, I guess, the rest of the month or so. So congrats to Corbin on getting married and, and hope he has a great honeymoon. But just the two of us this evening, we got a lot to talk about. Tyler, uh, we've got the portal, lots of recruiting. Uh, the, the carousel just never stops there and it moves very quickly. So some new things to talk about there. We'll talk about potentially OU moving to the SEC a year early in 2024. And then we'll also dive in a little bit more on men's basketball. I'm excited to talk men's basketball, but I'm also excited because that means baseball, softball right around the corner. (laughs) And honestly, we kind of joked about it, but baseball ended up being one of the most fun sports for Sooner fans in all of 2022. I'm excited to see what what they could do. We won't talk about them this week, but uh, here in the near future, I'm sure we'll do a little bit of a preview for that. But Tyler, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Started a brand new job this week, so getting into the flow of that. Things have been good out here in Denver. I uh, do kind of have a bone to pick with Corbin, who I know will be listening to this podcast on his plane ride back from Rome. We have a standing appointment uh, anywhere from about 6.30 to 8 o'clock every Tuesday night to do the show. Um, I'm pre- uh, happy for you, Corbin. Kristen, phenomenal wedding. Uh, we can talk about that once Corbin returns, but you do have to you do have to at least point out the fact, Adam, that uh, certain arrangements could have possibly been made for Corbin to still join us on this show. But we'll we'll uh, we'll touch on that another I mean, time. It's like four a.m. in Rome. He's probably not doing anything. But also at the you same could, time, could be on this. <laughs> priorities uh, are are a big deal. And we all know, Adam. You know, you had your 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 OU Nebraska trip planned before your honeymoon. So uh, we all know that when it comes to OU athletics priorities, uh, I, I understand it. So, but it's been good, man. We got a lot to talk about tonight. Um, a lot of different things going on within uh, OU Athletics Transfer Portal, Senior Bowl, different things going on, National Signing Day coming up here in just a couple of short weeks. Di- or you know, uh, Men's and women's basketball uh, are in full swing with their season. Diamond sports coming up, like you said, Adam. We know what we kind of feel like we know what to expect from OU softball, but like you said, how's OU baseball going to bounce back after kind of a surprise year, making the run all the way to the championship series of the World Series? But before we dive into into OU football, Adam, I do kind of want to take a second uh, and just briefly touch on you know a story that's you know been the focal point in the in the in the sports world over the last seventy two hours, and you know it was announced you know a little bit earlier today that Mike Leach uh, has passed away, head football coach of Mississippi State, uh, did some time out at Washington State. We're more familiar with him, Adam, uh, you know from his time as the head coach of Texas Tech. So just uh, not not just a sad day for you know Mississippi State a sad day for his family but basically for I think college football and the entire you know uh, sports world as a whole um, this guy was a tremendous football coach tremendous leader of men just a, a character uh, you know, f- f- tremendous personality you never knew what you were going to get once a microphone was in front of uh, of Mike Leach but you knew whatever it was it was going to be pure gold uh, and he you just you know it's it's a sad day for football um, and we'll we'll miss him deeply yeah my my boss is an Ole Miss fan, and we talked about it this morning. And I I don't think even rival fans hated like Mike Leach. I think everybody no. loved uh, the Pirate, which mm-hmm. is almost impossible in college football for everybody to like someone. Yeah, especially someone that's in the SEC. Um, but Mike Leach was that guy, and um, just completely unique. And we'll never see someone like him again. Mm-hmm. And it's tough. I mean, what a surprise because four or five days ago, not even on our radar, all of a sudden he, he's gone and um, really sad. Um, 
um, obviously a really tough time for I'm sure the the family and the players. Um, yeah. Tough time of year to, to lose a coach for any football mm-hmm. program. Um, but uh, really sad. And let's hope that he can make it into the College Football Hall of Fame. I know his winning percentage is 596, which I believe is just under the 600 requirement yep. to get into the College Football Hall yep. of Fame. They need to change that, make an exception for Mike, whatever it is. Um, he needs to be a part of that um, because of, of the footprint and the impact that he's had on this sport. Um, just basically like everybody that is successful in offense has taken something from Mike Leach um, all the way up to you know high school, college, mm-hmm. probably international leagues are using stuff that he developed. So um, he's got to be one of the most influential, you know, as far as the game of football and the, the strategy behind the playbook and everything since maybe some of the very early founding fathers of, of college football. Yeah, I think you make a really good point. I mean, you know, it, people, when they when they talk about Mike Leach, you know, it's not just the pirate, it's not just his charisma, his personality, but, you know, he's been a leading architect uh, in, you know, offensive football, you know, at, at all three levels. You know, we can, we can talk about here. It kind of feels like it hits home <clears throat> or it hits a little bit closer home uh, to us because when you look at, you know, he obviously did a brief stint here, you know, coaching in Oklahoma. Think about, think about the coaching tree. Uh, that, that he's left behind you know we don't want to talk about it but you know Lincoln Riley uh, Kevin Wilson you know uh, th- there's there's so many coaches you know both uh, both still in the NCAA but also in the NFL um, that you know are, are from the Mike Leach coaching tree and you'd have to think that you know no matter what level of football that you're playing at no matter what level of football you're watching uh, the brand of football that's being played on the offensive side of the football is in large part because uh, of you know the, the the ideas that were brought to the table by Mike Leach. So rest uh, you know rest easy, Mike. Uh, college football, uh, <laughs> basically, I think the world as a whole is not going to be the same without Mike Leach in it. So we wish him and his family, uh, you know, uh, nothing but the best. You know, time healing. You know, uh, it's it's going to be a tough time for them, especially around the holidays. But thoughts and prayers go out to the Leach family and. You know, Adam, let's uh, let's talk about some OU football recruiting. Big weekend for Oklahoma. Two lone, uh, I guess you could say, uh, the the two big boys on campus that OU fans and, and coaches especially uh, were uh, really interested in devoting a lot of time to, and that's the McCullough brothers. Uh, what's going on with OU recruiting, Adam? Yeah, two for two on uh, commits that uh, of guys that came into Norman this weekend that were uncommitted and a few days later are now committed in the McCullough brothers. Uh, Desan, the transfer from Indiana, a guy that I think was really impactful in his one season with the Hoosiers, um, had, I think, 49 tackles, something like six and a half sacks. Um, yeah. He's a guy that was playing on the edge for them. You see a lot of film where it looks like he's kind of that outside linebacker defensive end hybrid. At OU, a lot of people are projecting him as the cheetah. And I, I guess those people are smarter than me because I, I'm not seeing it based on the film. I think he's more of a, a defensive end or an edge type guy and not as much one that we want to be dropping back into pass coverage a whole ton. Now, maybe I'm just wrong and I don't understand strategy, but that's just what I see on the film. Either yeah. way, I think he's a guy that that instantly helps this defense. I think he's probably you know, outside of, of a quarterback that's going to be leading an offense. Um, and there's several really good quarterbacks in the transfer portal. McCullough, Desan McCullough might be the most impactful transfer out there. Just based on he had production, he's not transferring for the wrong reasons like some other guys might be. He's not necessarily trying to get the biggest NIL bag or anything like that. Um, he just went to Indiana, thought his dad was going to be coaching him. That ended up not being the case. And uh, so 
and ended up transferring. But yeah, um, I think he's one that you should be really excited about as a Sooner fan. Yeah, I think I read an article where uh, Desan McCullough, he was one, he was for sure top three. He might have been the highest rated recruit uh, that Indiana has signed in quite some time. And, we, you know, you mentioned it, Adam, when you turn on the film, you know, it's just just an athletic freak. And I think that that's why when when OU fans, they see this guy on tape, six foot five, 235 pounds. You know the 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 instant reaction is just just to automatically compare this kid to Isaiah Simmons, especially you know with Brent Venables, his track record coaching that cheetah position at Clemson over the last ten years. But I'm I'm kind of in agreement with you. I think that when you see the the size and stature. Um, and the way that this kid plays, you know, so close up to the line of scrimmage, I think that it is a more natural fit for him to be, you know, maybe kind of an outside linebacker. I mean, four sacks last year. He was a true, he was an all American as a true freshman for a reason. Top ranked defender in the transfer portal. If you don't believe it, just go look at what uh, Josh Pate of 247 had to say about this guy. Um, just a, a fantastic pickup for, for Brent Venables and, and Ted Roof's defense. And it's a huge get, Adam, at a position of need. Oh, you struggled rushing the passer, you know, this season. Um, But when you look at this guy's stature, you look at the quick twitch, the way he plays, the physicality, um, he's got all the tools in the world to to be the next elite pass rusher in an Oklahoma uniform, like a Nick Benito or an Eric Stryker or an Obo Ogoronkwo. Um, It's a big gift for Oklahoma. And the fact that you can pair that up uh, with also getting, uh, you know, his little brother, who's a four-star safety, uh, now committed to Oklahoma at a huge position of need, especially with what we've seen, you know, not just graduate, but also with some of the defensive backs that have been in the transfer portal over the last two weeks. Uh, getting his younger brother Day, uh, that's that's also a very big deal. And I know Jay Valai is happy about that tonight. Yeah, absolutely. A guy that was originally committed to Cincinnati, and you got to love that because you know the Bearcats know how to evaluate defensive talent. They've had some elite guys, some NFL uh, draft picks, high-round draft picks uh, from Cincinnati there lately. So um, that's awesome. That just helps validate you know, what we've seen from uh, Brent Venables and what he's been able to do on defense. So you love being able, being able to pair that. I, I might be missing someone, but I think this might be our first brother combo since, uh, since the Knight brothers. Trevor and, and Connor Knight. I think that's right. Yes. Okay. So, so you've got that. Um, uh, Jalil Farouk's younger brother just got offered today. He's a, yeah. a safety, um, the three star out of the 2024 class. We'll see if Jalil's still around. And, you know, if that develops into a commitment for OU, you've got the potential of the Bowen brothers, uh, which we'll talk <laughs> about Peyton here in a second. But um, that's pretty cool. You love seeing a little bit more of like some pipeline development there of, hey, this guy's got a brother. Like we think, you know, the older one's pretty good. Let's go after him. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we'll nab the younger brother too. And he's can also contribute. So uh, love to see that. And it's, it's just a fun story to see brothers playing on the same team, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the things um, that's going to be interested, you know, moving forward is is where does Oklahoma go from here? I mean, you've you've obviously you've made a huge, you know, dent in the transfer portal so far, you know, landing Jacob Lacey, you know, the transfer defensive lineman uh, from Notre Dame, Austin Stogner's coming back to Norman, and now you add uh, Dason McCullough. Uh, just a just a fantastic you know start to the off season for for Brent Venables and just one more point to you know kind of make on day is you know younger brother uh, the the four star safety one of the biggest most sought after safeties in the country six foot two two hundred pounds Adam big body frame the size Oklahoma fans have been clamming for for years in the back end of this defense played mostly cornerback in high school but as he as he develops continues to put on more weight and grows into his body I think he projects to be a really nice. Uh, safety prospect uh, at uh, you know by the time his you know career at Oklahoma is over, but Adam, I do I do wonder 
uh, as we sit here on December 13th, where does Oklahoma go from here in the transfer portal? You know, obviously we've seen a lot of offers go out, particularly at the wide receiver position. You know, we're not sure at this point right now uh, what the future looks like for Marvin Mims. We we know he's playing in the bowl game. What does his career look like after the fact? Um, so where do you think Oklahoma goes now? What's a what's another position group or two that's a top priority for Oklahoma moving forward? Yeah, uh, something that we asked our followers on Twitter, and we got a ton of responses. Just got one a few yeah. seconds ago. Uh, make sure you're following us, following us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod. Uh, pretty much unanimously across the board, everyone's saying offensive line, defensive line. You got Jacob Lacey already as a interior defensive lineman. There, he's a guy that played some at Notre Dame. He didn't really, wasn't really like a primary starter or anything like that. Doesn't have a whole lot of production, but was, you know, a four-star that went to Notre Dame. That's, that's something, I guess. Right. So my expectations aren't super high for, for him. And I know that there's really not much out there in the portal. Um, you know, Braden Fisk, uh, the uh, Western Michigan defensive tackle, he's visited Notre Dame. He's from about 30 miles away, Michigan City, Indiana. Uh, I believe he's visiting Florida State. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some people that are hoping that OU can can get a visit from him. I think Notre Dame's going to be really tough to beat out for him. I, I think that would be a, a nice one. But again, with any transfer portal, portal player, you're almost always looking at a guy from a Power 5 school that didn't produce and is therefore transferring or a guy like Braden Fisk from a group of five level, the Mac, the worst power five conference out there that is overperforming and is trying to transfer up. So there's risk in both situations. Um, you know, even though you can get really excited about a guy that, that really performed at the group of five level, it might be too much. Like Jeffrey Johnson is, is an example of that. He came in, he played a lot this year at OU. Did he do a whole lot? Not really, but neither did anybody else. So like, I guess it was just kind of an okay result there. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas OU needs absolute difference makers. And I don't think that those bodies are going to be found in the portal on the defensive line. I think this is, and I'll say it every week, probably <laughs> going forward. It's the off season of internal development for the Sooners. What can we get out of Grayson Holton? What can we get out of Isaiah Coe? What can we continue to get out of Jordan Kelly, a guy that made a bunch of leaps in the uh, later uh, games of the season? Mm-hmm. I think that's where we're going to see the most impact going into 2023. I don't necessarily buy that it's going to come from the transfer portal, at least on the interior of the defensive line. But I still think you need to line up bodies there and find some guys that can uh, fill some roster spots because we're going to need some depth. And I think that is the that's the big thing, Adam. It's depth. I mean, when you look at the the guys that we've lost, you know, Josh Ellison going to the portal, Alton Tarber, uh, a couple of other guys from that defensive line group. You know, not. I think it's probably it's unrealistic and it's unfair to expect that you know, like a Derek LeBlanc, uh, LeBlanc or an Ashton Sanders, or you know, throw, even throw Jacob Lacey into that mix as well as you know, being guys that we can expect to come in <clears throat> and contribute and be impact players. You know, day one in Oklahoma uniform. I just simply think that that's not the case, but they do have the opportunity, like you said, with the internal development. I think both of those guys, uh, both of those high school guys, are going to be early in release. So, how serious do they take, you know, the, the, over the course of the next six to seven months of the offseason, you know, with Jerry Schmidt in the film room with Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis? Um, I, I think that uh, one, one of the big things that is going to be, you know, taken into consideration moving forward is even though you feel like you're, you, you feel like you're happy 
with what you've got right now on your roster from a starter standpoint, you know, both on the interior and on the edge, you've still got to go out there in the transfer portal, bring in probably two, three, maybe even potentially four guys to be the added depth, to be those extra bodies in that room. Um, because, you know, defensive line, there's, you know, no, nothing's handed to you. Um, you know, nobody's safe from the injury bug, uh, especially at that position. So Oklahoma and Todd Bates, uh, they're going to have to bring in a few more guys from the transfer portal, and you just pray that through internal development they can turn into guys that were, you know, maybe flying under the radar a little bit at their previous school, didn't get as much notoriety in the transfer portal from some other places, but through the through coaching and internal development, they can turn out to be, uh, you know, key contributors for this OU football team in 2023. On the outside, Trace Ford is a name that. I believe is scheduled to visit OU probably later this week. The uh, former Oklahoma State defensive end. How do we feel about Did, that? That that's exactly my question because looking at this year, he didn't start a single game for the Cowboys. Played in nine games, had eight total tackles. Was great in 2019 as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2021 was out with injury. 2022, nine games, eight tackles. Like I don't know. I, I some people are. I maybe I think remembering his freshman year a little yes. bit too much when he was really good. He's had a couple injuries, and I, I just don't know what to expect out of him at this point. Mm-hmm. I guess the angle is, yeah, that'll make Oklahoma State fans pretty upset that we took one of their guys in the portal. And there's maybe some thinking that he's not really interested in OU because he is an OSU guy, and that's that's fair. But right, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm well, not sure and, how to feel about that one. And I think one other angle that you can take a look at it from is I mentioned the fact that you just lost Alton Tarver. You just lost Josh Ellison. Yes, Trace Ford. He's not the same trace forward as we saw from a couple of years ago during his freshman campaign in Stillwater, but does he have enough recent film over the last 12 to 18 months? Do, you know, does does Todd Bates see enough upside in this guy to where, you know, he may not be a guy that's a first or second round NFL draft pick, but he's a guy that can come in and at least be, if not the same, he can give you more production than what we just lost to the transfer portal in that in that room. So um, it, it will be interesting. I think you know. I think at this point right now, Adam uh, David Hicks is not going to be a positive. Is is not going to be a realistic option for Oklahoma. So you've got to continue trying to find guys to fill that room. And you know, if if Miguel Chavis and Todd Banks think that Trace Ford is a guy that can come in and compete, can you know be part of that rotation once next August rolls around, then yeah, seriously consider bringing him in. Um, because, I mean, you, you've got to fill spots on your roster, particularly on the defensive line group. On the offensive side of the ball, wide receiver is one that people have talked about quite a bit. Yes. Marvin Mims, I think there's people thinking, yeah, it's probably coming back, probably like 70-30, but like, there's no real info out there. That's not mm-hmm. us knowing anything, really. Yeah. At this point, we're all just kind of guessing. But I think the thought is Marvin Mims will be back. Jalil Farouk is back. Drake Stoops is back. We expect Jaden Gibson probably to step up into that Theo Weiss role and hopefully do more uh, because he's you know healthy, uh, has a lot of potential there. You've got um, Gavin Freeman that's probably going to take on a, a larger role. After that, I guess Jaque- it's, it's... Jaquez Petaway will play. A, Jaquez Petaway, yeah. Nick Anderson game. still mm-hmm. around at this point. There's some yeah, LV, he might transfer. Yeah. yeah, LV Bunkley, Shelton, JJ or so, Javian Hester. I mean, it's just yeah. So I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of guys there. I guess the curiosity is like, well, what could you really sell? Like, will a guy come in saying, okay, I see Marvin Mims, I see Jill Farouk, am I option number three in that scenario? You got Austin Stogner, 
so uh, that's that's interesting. There are a couple names that have been thrown out there. Trey Harris from Louisiana Tech, a guy that's proven, um, didn't have the best quarterback play, but you know made the most of his opportunities. You've got uh, Xavier Gilroy, the uh, guy from Idaho, a guy that's got a ton of speed. Um, didn't have a great passing offense around him, but still managed to put up about 800 yards this season in the FCS. That's, you know, could it be a Jared verse, you know, FCS to power five transfer? Yeah, I, I think that's tough. Yeah. Um, you've also got Dorian Singer, a guy that was a former walk on uh, from, I believe, Spencer Radler's high school in Arizona <laughs> that went to the Wildcats, put up over a thousand yards this year and is now looking to transfer. So you got guys at all different levels, tiers um, that have proven one thing or another at different levels. But I just wonder, like, what can you really sell to those guys to bring them on board? Well, and I think that that's, that's, you know, a huge deal, Adam. You know, when you talk about some of the most prolific offenses, you know, as recently as the last five to ten years, um, teams that have a lot of success throwing the football and are, and are having a lot of success and are well-balanced on offense are guys, you know, that have three to four, you know, really good playmaking options out on the perimeter at the wide receiver position, Spo. Uh, but kind of like I, I kind of rolled my eyes and, and even smiled a little bit as you were going through those names, Adam. Louisiana Tech, Idaho, Arizona, as an Oklahoma fan, doesn't get you too excited about the possibility that, okay, we're bringing in a guy from Idaho and we should just expect that this guy is going to be able to come in and, you know, be a, a key difference maker, you know, at the Power Five level uh, against some of the defenses that Oklahoma is going to be playing in 2023. But, um, I, I do think that if if you're able to bring Marvin Mims back and if you're able to bring Jalil Farouk back, you know that that's a really good one-two punch. Um, I think that there were there were a lot of times this season, you know, we've been very critical of Jeff Levy on this podcast, very critical at times of Dylan Gabriel. Um, Jalil Farouk probably wasn't as utilized as he should have been. Marvin Mims probably should have, you know, had more targets uh, as we got later into the season. So. Um, I, I don't know. I think that for this offense to really function um, at the you know the high flying pace that it should be able to, I think you've got to bring in one or two more guys. Uh, you know, create competition in that room, bring added depth. Maybe, like you said, Adam, the internal development. You know, whether it's Jeff Levy, whether it's Ladamian Washington, whether it's another wide receiver coach that we don't know about that's coming down the you know coming on down the pipeline. You've got to continue to bring in guys to continue to add talent in that room and guys that can make plays for you on Saturday. And like I said, Jaquez Petaway, I think that that guy, he's a burner. I think that guy has a chance to to get a, a large bulk of the uh, the snaps next year. Yeah. Offensive more, line, too. Exactly. This is yes. where I was headed. A more traditional transfer from the junior college ranks, Coffeyville, Keyshawn uh, Blackstock. He's a guy that's kind of been really quiet, but I think he would fit really well. Uh, he, he's a guard. I think that's exactly what OU needs is some guys on the interior there. There's some other names floating around, a lot of them coming up from those lower levels from Mac schools, from FCS. And that's where I, I get really nervous there of like, well, like, could they just be a hidden gym that developed late? Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes those linemen at those lower levels, their bodies are not developed at the same level as the power five. Um, right. You either right. have it or you don't coming out of high school. It's not something yeah. that you necessarily build up a whole lot. So that makes me concerned, especially with a guy that's maybe going to get one spring with, with Schmitty. Like I, I just wonder how much they could contribute there, but you'd like to think they bring in at least one more person there. 
I, I think you need to bring in an experienced interior guy uh, that's flexible, that can play both center and play both guard positions. And then I know that um, I know that Bill Beanbow is very confident. He's spoken very very highly about you know Jacob Sexton, Jake Taylor, you know Tyler Guyton going to be coming back. But I still think if possible, if you have the opportunity to go out there and land, whether it's a grad transfer or maybe an upperclassman, you know, offensive tackle from a Power Five program, or you know maybe uh, I think that the UTEP guy was one that's been highly coveted there's been a lot of people a lot of coaches that have been after him since he put his name in the portal I think you got to go out there and at least bring in one interior and one uh, uh, offensive tackle uh, to help strengthen that room because I mean offensive line that's going to dictate how well this team performs uh, in 2023 and so if you're happy with what you've got which, you know, we can, I think that one of the things that we will continue to dive into this offseason has been kind of the lack of development, especially from high school recruits at the offensive line position that have signed with Oklahoma since the Joe Moore Moore award-winning group back in 2018. The high school recruits that Bill Beanbow has signed haven't really panned out as many people have expected outside of maybe Anton Harrison. You can't really hang your hat on too many of them um Anton Harrison Creed Humphreys another one you know uh best center in the NFL but you've got to continue to find ways uh like you said the internal development you know build the roster the guys that you have in that room right now but I think that you would be absolutely foolish not to try to take one or two uh offensive linemen from the portal because you've got to build not just the talent but you got to build the depth that's what you see in the Georgias the Ohio States the Alabamas they can plug and play guys immediately and uh, doesn't look like it skips a beat. Yeah, I think best scenario outcome next year is that Jake Sexton, Jake Taylor, uh, Savion Bird just shut the door on any type of transfer that comes into OU and say, "Hey, we're we're better. Yes. We're highly recruited. We're we're growing into our bodies after a couple of years in the program, and we're locking this position down." And sorry, that's, you transferred. <laughs> that that's got to make you feel good. If if Bill Beanbow mm-hmm. was to bring in, you know, a senior offensive tackle from UTEP or the guy from Rhode Island, somebody like that, and even when they get on campus, you're still trotting out two guys that'll be you know, true sophomores and then a guy in Savion Bird that we've just been waiting and waiting and waiting for him to, you know, kind of take the reins uh, and, and, you know, take over one of those interior guard positions. I think that that bodes well, and you got to feel confident as an Oklahoma fan if you can get those young guys out on the field uh, and then yeah. have the transfer portal guys be your added depth in that rotation. They should get a nice audition in the bowl game against Florida State and their uh, defensive line prowess yeah. there. Good luck. Overall, uh, yeah, overall on the transfer portal – only one uh, actually transfer recruit that visited OU this past week, and that was Desan McCullough, mm-hmm. committed. So 100% success rate there. It is a little tough, though, to see other programs. SMU is one that's building their program on a lot of transfers. Um, TCU is, is you know already entertaining a lot of transfers at this point. It, on one hand, I guess I look at it and go, okay, most of the guys in the portal are just guys. They're the same type of guys that transferred out of OU that aren't really doing anything, that aren't getting enough playing time or they're those lower level uh, players that have overperformed. Mm -hmm. So, okay, maybe it's right to slow play this and just handpick the right guys. At the same time, we're not going to bring enough guys in from the high school recruiting class to replace all the outgoing seniors plus the transfers out. So there's going to be some gaps to fill there. But a week, what is it, a week and a half, about a weekend, I guess. Are you pleased so far with the velocity and the urgency around the portal and what OU's doing here. 
yes, um, because I think as it sits right now, Oklahoma has landed the best pickup from the transfer portal. Uh, as we sit here on December 13th, um, you're continuing to see more and more offers go out, particularly at the wide receiver position. And while, you know, Oklahoma fans and, you know, us, you know, here as, uh, you know, members of this podcast, we want to see, um, you know, people start to commit, people choose to, you know, transfer to the University of Oklahoma. I think that it says a lot that maybe it's, Maybe it's the fact that there's so many guys that are in the portal. Coaches are continuing to evaluate, or maybe it's the fact that you know bowl season is still coming up. College football playoff is still coming on down the line. Maybe you start to see a few more guys from those playoff schools, or maybe those New Year's Six bowl schools uh, that you know maybe coaches are, are holding out on, thinking that they'll enter the transfer portal. But I think as you sit here right now, you've got to feel really, really good about where Oklahoma stands and uh, you know, kind of the the impact that they've made from the transfer portal. You'd love to see a couple receivers join this roster. You'd love to see a couple offensive linemen, maybe one more you know inside linebacker to continue to build depth in that room. Uh, but I, again, I, I don't see <laughs> after the weekend that Oklahoma just had, I don't see how you could sit here and be anything but happy about uh, what Brent Venables and Jay Valai particularly and this staff have done uh, so far in the transfer portal, landing three really solid guys. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit of recruiting. A whole bunch of predictions came in today to Celia Kana uh, to commit to OU. Yeah. Guy that is listed as an outside linebacker. A lot of them, uh, people think he's going to grow into a defensive end. That one's kind of been a slow burn over the last four or five months or so, really. That it, But it does feel like OU was, was leading the entire way for that one. So possibly by the time people are listening to this episode, he may already be committed to OU. But mm-hmm. um, certainly one that is, is huge, a top 150 uh, player in the entire country, another elite defender, um, something that OU desperately needs. So um, a win, I, I don't know that it's surprising or like – because it's been such a slow build up to this, I don't know if it's super exciting necessarily, but certainly a big win for the Sooners. Well, and it's got to make you feel excited too, as an Oklahoma fan. And, you know, we've, this is a guy and, you know, that we've heard from, you know, Parker Thune, you know, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, Cecilia Akana has been a guy that Brent Venables has, you know, set out from the get go as being a priority uh, for, for Brent Venables. That's really kind of been, you know, one of the main guys that he's, you know, kind of taken the leading role in the recruitment for that young man. So uh, if Oklahoma is able to get, is able to capture his signature within the next couple of weeks, you know, he was, he was crystal ball by still weak fong today. Um, that's a, that's a huge deal for, for Oklahoma. If you're able to pick, if you're able to bring him in, um, that probably elevates you into a top five recruiting class, even without David Hicks or Peyton Bowen. Um, so if as an Oklahoma fan, you've got to be nothing but excited about the the job that this staff has done coming off of a six and six year, the fact that they've been able to hold on to 95% of the recruits in the class, but they're also able to pull, you know, guys like Cecilia Kana in, like the McCullough brothers and possibly Peyton Bowen. You've got to feel excited about the direction of this program. And you've got to be happy and pleased with the, uh, the job that this coaching staff has done out on the recruiting trail. You mentioned Peyton Bowen. The consensus at this point seems to be that he's waiting till National Signing Day to make any type of announcement. It is kind of interesting because it seems like there is an announcement needed, even though he is committed to Notre Dame. So whether he sticks with that or or flips to OU, it does feel like there needs to be an announcement there to provide some clarity because for someone that's been committed, he feels like the most uncommitted player that maybe I've seen in a long time. Adam, Adam, I'm starting to think that it doesn't happen. 
Well, that was going to be my, my question to you because the experts continue to inch a little bit more and more at, at, you know, every day that passes that, okay, it's 60% OU at this point. Okay. Now it's 65 and then 70. And I don't know, we've been burned so many times and so many things can happen. There's a yeah. less than 10 days till signing day, but what does Notre Dame throw at them? You know, the, the night before I've been burned like that before. So I just <laughs> yeah. wonder, and I, I don't know if he hadn't done it by now, he's been flirting with OU for almost an entire year. Yeah. Like, and, you know, and, what and more all, does he, your mom need to see? Well, we're all well too familiar with, <laughs> we've, we've seen this movie before uh, and how this plays out, but you know, you, you talked about it. It feels like this has been ongoing for a year. I feel like it's really heated up basically since, you know, late summertime where, you know, he, he, the, there's so much stuff go, you know, favoring OU's direction is, you know, his teammate, uh, you know, quarterback, best friend, Jackson Arnold's coming to play at Oklahoma. He's the face of OU's recruiting class. His girlfriend just signed to play soccer at the university of Oklahoma. Um, you know, it's a lot, it's probably a lot better family wise for Peyton Bowen to be two hours down the road in Norman, as opposed to all the way up in South Bend, Indiana. But we've heard it time and time again, you know, okay, well, he's going to commit, He's going to try to get this done so that he can focus on the playoffs. Okay, well, that never happened, and now Denton Geyer season's over with. We're two days removed from that. Nothing has still happened. So I think I think that one thing, it does give Oklahoma fans a little bit reason for hesitation because we've seen this time and time again. What more can Peyton Bowen see or hear from this OU coaching staff that he hasn't already been told up to this point? So I think moving forward – one of the things that's going to be really interesting to see is one of the biggest things that people brag on Brent Venables about as a recruiter is when he's able to go in the, the you know a couple of days before signing day when he's able to sit down with mom and dad with that recruit in their living room and he can lay out his pitch for them in a one-on-one setting we just saw it with Cecilia Kana the one-on-one visit that he had with him let's see if that can translate and maybe Maybe that can be the final nail uh, in, in the uh, Notre Dame coffin with Peyton Bowen committing to Oklahoma. But Adam, throwing this back over to you, if you're Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame staff, you would almost rather say, okay, if shit or get off the pot, if you're going to do this, let us know so that that way we have a little bit of time to you know, see what's going on with a few other guys that we've got on our uh, you know recruiting hot board. Yeah, but I think that signals how incredible of a player that Peyton Bowen is that sure. you don't say that to him. Um, mm-hmm. Same way that, you know, no one's saying that to David Hicks right now. Like Peyton Bowen is, is a legitimate five-star player at this point. Um, I think yeah. it's consensus. I think I can't recall if rivals updated him to a five-star or not, but dude's dude's elite. So yes, I, I think he's one that you just wait for and uh, you don't upset him in any way or, or, or manner. And so, uh, well, O'Connor it, will probably push OU past Notre Dame in the rankings, but Bowen seals OU getting past Notre Dame in the, oh, in the recruiting rankings. So 100%, that'd be huge. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's probably a little bit unfair. Obviously, you know, we, you know, we haven't spoken to these people directly, but I think it's probably fair to say that the, the things that have Peyton Bowen torn about where to go to school and the things that have David Hicks torn where to go to school probably don't go hand in hand together as far as priorities go. So yeah. we'll, we'll save that for, uh, when those signatures uh, dry on the piece of paper here in a couple of weeks, but yeah, I think if we, I think if you're Oklahoma, we'll kind of put a bow on this as far as recruiting goes. Um, Oklahoma sits in a really really good position, not just in the transfer portal with what they've done over the last 48 hours, uh, but with with what they're continuing to do in the high school recruiting ranks out on the trail. 
And it's going to be fun next couple of weeks to see what Oklahoma is able to do and how they can close out this 2023 class. Definitely. Another big news item that just dropped yesterday was uh, by Brett McMurphy that the move for OU and Texas to the SEC could happen. And it's moving in the direction with some momentum there that could be announced within the next month or so that that could happen by 2024, which would be a year early than what is currently projected at. Now, if you read through that article, it's kind of unclear exactly why it's happening now, where the pathway is, because there's a lot of TV network, um, I guess, legal uh, legalese and jargon that that needs to get worked through. And I think Fox is probably the biggest one there that's not wanting to let go of OU and Texas inventory because that suddenly devalues their, their Big 12 package. So we'll see what happens there. I know he mentioned that uh, you know roughly 60% of the total buyout is what's typically been negotiated down to for other schools that have left conferences in the past. That would put the buyout for OU in Texas right around $50 million. Um, I don't know if that means it's more attainable or, or not necessarily, but it's interesting nonetheless. So Adam, explain this to me. I didn't have a chance to, to read the article, so you're kind of talking to me about this for the very first time. Explain to me how, how this would happen. Would OU and Texas being able to go to the SEC sooner in 2024 as opposed to 2025, would that be because OU and Texas were able to negotiate the buyout down from 75 to $50 million and then the universities just say, all right, to hell with it. We're going to make more money. We're going to cover that probably within, the, within a two-year span. We're just going to pay the buyout to get the hell out of the Big 12 and into the SEC. Or... Could it be an instance where ESPN, who you know has this new contract with the SEC, they see how much money this conference is bringing in. They see how much more added value and dollar revenue uh, OU and Texas are going to be bringing to the table. Do they just simply say, "Screw it, we'll, whatever the buyout is, we're going to pay"? ESPN is going to cover the bill just to get these two guys into the conference as soon as possible. Because I just don't, I just don't see OU paying that much money just to speed the process up. 12 months. Yeah, I definitely see, uh, I guess, a pathway as far as ESPN being involved and in paying some of that, if not all of that. Uh, you know, they're losing s- several games a year probably to Fox for, for OU sure. and Texas games right now. And those are high dollar uh, items for them to put in their inventory. So if they can move those teams to the SEC a year earlier, well, they're picking up more inventory. They're taken away from their competitor and Fox. That could be valuable to ESPN. Sure. Um, as far as the schools go for OU and Texas, we're getting that 12-team playoff in 2024. Uh, USC and UCLA are moving to the Big Ten in 2024. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some urgency to match on that end. You know, will it actually happen? I think there's a lot to to go through there. I, I'm not holding my breath necessarily um, just because, you know, it's been pretty pretty firm from both schools um, that this is going to be, you know, through 2025, uh, that's going to be the first year in the SEC. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because people say those schools stabbed the big 12 in the back and left them out to dry. And yet we gave them the most time uh, in the conference to prepare for the future without OU in Texas of any school that ever changed conferences. So kind of funny how that worked out. And, but you know, it's fine. OU, I think we'll, uh, continue to build and get ready for the SEC. And I, I I don't want to say like I'm scared of the SEC or that OU needs more time, but like really OU just needs to get their act together. You don't want to go in the SEC in year one, embarrass yourself and roll out a six and six year, whether that's 2024, 2025 or whenever. Uh, uh, you just don't want to go in uh, and immediately start limping around. 
Yeah, I've heard arguments made on both sides of it. Should OU go in 2024 or should they try to wait as long as possible, get the extra year uh, and choose to go in 2025? So, Adam, all things aside, we don't care about the buyout. OU in Texas can afford it. ESPN is going to cover it. It doesn't matter. If you're Brent Venables or if you're just, you know, or if we're just sitting here as OU fans that, you know, cover this team religiously, would you rather go in 2024 or are you okay with pumping the brakes and say 2025 is when we want to make that transition? Selfishly, as a fan, I would rather wait a year. Uh, it really doesn't have anything to do with competition necessarily. I just know that I have the entire rest of my life to go to those SEC programs to see those matchups with SEC uh-huh. teams. Um, and I still want to go see some Big 12 stadiums. I got to knock Iowa State off the list this year. I'd love to have a chance to go to Provo. Um, to I know it sounds weird, but go to Lubbock. I, I want to knock them all off the list uh, if I can. And so that gives me an extra year to do that. Um, you know, I was never a huge fan of the SEC move. I, I think it was the right decision. I think it was necessary. That's how college football is nowadays. You got to follow the dollars and, and that's where you have to go. I, I think OU fans are overvaluing the premierness of the games going forward yes we'll get some awesome ones with georgia and bama but we'll also have mississippi state and kentucky and vanderbilt and those won't be that you know any more exciting than hosting texas tech or iowa state in my opinion so you know we'll have plenty of years to to get into that i'm I'm not rushing off to that because i want to enjoy what we have for now see i'm i'm kind of in disagreement with you on that because i think from a fan standpoint I want 2024 to be the year. I want them to speed up the process 12 months because I want the on. I, I want the the game day experience. I want the opponents. Uh, I want the opponents to be better. I want to be able to, you know, take on Kentucky or Florida or Texas A&M. I don't want to ever have to worry about you know watching an OU Iowa State or an OU Kansas. So the production on the field, you know, selfishly, I want 2024 to get here. That way, you know, Oklahoma's playing against you know in a in a better conference holistically. Um, but if if I'm looking at this strictly from how what does OU need to do to succeed? How much time do they need to be able to go into the SEC and not just lay an egg and go six and six or seven and five simply because they don't have the talent or the depth on the roster from top to bottom to compete week in and week out with what that SEC schedule demands? So um, I think if I had to sit here and I had to cast my vote, I think I would still choose 2025 because it allows Brent Venables more time to continue to build this thing up. He knows what a roster and what a team looks like uh, to be able to compete, not just compete in the SEC, and but also be able to beat the premier team in the SEC like Clemson did against Alabama multiple times. So if I, if I had a vote, I would say wait until t- 2025, give Brent an extra year, let's build this thing up, let's do it right. And that way, whenever we have our inaugural season uh, in the SEC, Oklahoma comes in as a premier player uh, and can be a contender. Uh, in whatever format that they choose to do as far as standings and conference championship races go. If OU was nine and three this year, would that change your opinion? No. Okay. No, I'd stick with it. Think about this. Think about this. If Oklahoma chooses to go to the SEC in 2024, and that's what the university, Joe C, uh, ESPN, that's what the conference decides to do. You've got Jackson Arnold probably making you know his his debut uh, as far as you know getting meaningful reps uh, against an SEC schedule. So give me a little bit of extra time. Let's yeah. let Jackson Arnold and this group get ready and have a little experience before we go into the SEC. Yeah, 
if you go to the SEC in 2024, you have Brent Venables' current <clears throat> class, the one that is about to sign here in a couple of days. That one would be sophomores going into their first year of the SEC competition right. versus 2025. They're going in as third-year players, so you're not you don't have anybody going pro. Maybe they transfer or whatever, but one of the highest ranked classes that we'll have had in a long time be going into their third year. And that's when they're going to be, you know, in their prime in college, really producing at a high level. So I think there's, there's a lot to say there um, that, that could work out either way. You know, it's not something we can control really. It just is what it is. Um, oh, oh, you need to build up fast. Um, mm-hmm. You know, next year we need to be a heck of a lot better than six and six. Um, yeah. You know, We'll, we'll talk about expectations. We'll have tons of time to do that in the off season uh, as far as what they need to do, but they need to take a major step forward because mm-hmm. it's a, what have you done for me lately uh, type of game when it comes to recruiting and transfers and, and all that. So uh, as far as, you know, if this is OU's last season in the big 12 in 2023, mm-hmm. you got some new members coming in the four schools or three schools from the AAC, uh, one uh, independent in BYU, not the traditional big 12 opponents, I think everyone wants to go see Provo. Uh, would love to get a road trip out to BYU. Uh, we don't know the schedule just yet, but including those new teams and the uh, you know the former Big Twelve teams that mm-hmm. um, that we've been with for several years, is there any games or matchups that you say, "Hey, I want to have that on the schedule. I want to make sure it's there uh, in the last year for the Sooners before we head off to the SEC." Yeah, I mean, just just looking at some of the new players that are going to be joining the Big 12 going into next season, I think, you know, UCF jumps off the page, you know, taking a trip down to Orlando, playing the bounce house. Uh, that, that would obviously be a lot of fun. BYU making the trip out to Provo, seeing that campus, that scenery, I think that that would be a lot of fun. Um, as an Oklahoma fan, when when talking about true road destinations, going to Provo or uh, or you know going to UCF or going to Cincinnati, that sounds a hell of a lot better than going to Ames or Lawrence or you know I, I love me some Manhattan, but I'm ready for something new. Um, so yeah, a couple of those new players that's going to be fun. Um, I would love to you know you want to see OSU is going to be on the schedule next year. You know, to getting that last win of the series in Stillwater. Uh, would obviously be you know a dream scenario for Oklahoma fans uh, at Kansas State. I'd love to see that uh, be on the schedule next year, just because <laughs> I, I don't want to have the sour taste of Chris Kleiman and what K State's done to Oklahoma in the last few seasons uh, in my mouth for the foreseeable future. So redemption in Manhattan w- would be another good one, and then. I mean, God, I, I hate to say it, but next year's home schedule, as is based on current Big 12 opponents on how it goes back and forth, it's not going to be very good. So hopefully uh, hopefully we can get some new blood and we can get a couple of those uh, newcomers into the Big 12 conference coming to Norman next year. But BYU and UCF would be my two if I could pick. Yeah, TCU should come back to Norman if that is a game that they put on the schedule. I think that could sure. be a big one. Um, Absolutely. That could be certainly one of the big ones that you market ahead of time and Hopefully, uh, OU tickets can sell all of those out for TCU. You know, gets three losses to start the year or something like that because already they just kind of feel like a team. Yeah, the, they feel <laughs> like a team that will have some volatility. Um, I agree. I think OU will. I mean, Bedlam and Texas; those will be games that will be sure. set in stone on the schedule, sure. no matter what. Um, Bedlam's always a fun game to go to in Stillwater; such an easy trip. And mm-hmm. then uh, K State. I'm really hoping that one's on the schedule too. Yes. Uh, we've been to Manhattan several times. I think that's one of the best road trips that you could possibly go on. Uh, Manhattan's a fun town. Um, one of the most underrated uh, college towns yeah, out it, there. It's a, it's a great stadium. Um, you know, fat, passionate fans, great tailgating. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if that's on the schedule, Sooner fans go to that game. Like that one yes. is a must go to. 
Um, I would love to see Texas Tech uh, in Norman just to avenge that loss. Not really interested in the, in the matchup necessarily. And then, of course, mm-hmm. um, the gold mine. Um, OU fans would lose their minds if we could go to Provo and play BYU, which means it probably won't happen. <laughs> but um, Orlando, like, really? I, I mean, because we're going to Orlando here for the Cheez-It Bowl. I mean, that's a game yeah, in an c- area that OU could play in a lot. I, c- I could just see the Big 12 knowing that it's going to be Oklahoma's last year. I could just see them just doing something to try to screw OU where, you know, maybe Oklahoma, you know, goes to Orlando to, to take on UCF in a late night game. And then they've got to go to and then they've got the Red River showdown the following Saturday. Oh, then after you play uh, Texas, then we're going to send you out to Provo the following weekend <laughs> to take on BYU. So uh, with OU in Texas, uh, I wouldn't put it past uh, the Big 12 to, to have some shenanigans up their sleeves as just kind of a uh, parting middle finger to, to those two programs as we leave the conference and go on to bigger and better things. But yeah, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. The, the schedule, I'm honestly surprised it hasn't been out now. I can remember from our time you know, working with NOU Athletics, I kind of feel like at this point we were already selling to we were already selling season tickets, you know, hyping people up about next year's schedule. And here we are on December 13th and there's, there's just whispers. Yeah. I wonder if Brett Yormark is planning a schedule release type of event of some kind to yeah. draw some attention there. He's from the NBA. He's familiar with those types of things and what that can bring. So SEC does it. We could certainly see that. Yeah. Sure. Let's talk a little bit of hoops here. Men's basketball in full swing, almost a, basically a third of the way through the season already. Crazy. And uh, yeah, you look up after football and it's, it's, it's already a third of the way done. Sooners go play a neutral site game against the top 10 team in Arkansas in Tulsa this past weekend. Aren't able to, to get the W there. I guess it's understandable because Arkansas is, is, you know, a really good basketball team, but that's a game that OU led for probably the first two thirds of the game or so, and just mm-hmm. let it slip away as, as crunch time approached. Overall, I, you know, I said it last week. I think this team goes as far as, um, you know, Tanner Groves will allow it to go. He's a guy that can absolutely disappear um, or he can be there and kind of be a steady hand. He, he didn't chose, choose to disappear, but that's just what happened against Arkansas. And so I guess you look kind of a little bit zoom out here. We're almost done with the non-conference schedule. We got a, you know, a, a cream puff uh, here this Saturday. Florida's coming up before the end of the month. That would be a, a quality out of conference win. Outside of that, your your quality out of conference wins so far are Ole Miss and Seton Hall. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily like huge victories that you're going to put on your resume for the committee. So certainly feels like we're headed for you know a very nervous bubble uh, situation yeah. going into March. Well, and I think you would hope that Porter Moser's squad has kind of learned their lesson. You know, the last you know the the last two losses that we've had at the hands of Villanova and Arkansas, two teams that you know probably better, not not probably are better uh, from a skill from a skill standpoint. Especially Arkansas, you know, Arkansas that's probably a, a real serious contender to make a run to the Final Four come March. But um, Oklahoma leading games. And then once you get into the last couple, once you get into the last, you know, four to eight minutes of the second half, you know, giving up leads, not being able to close out and, you know, finish. So, yeah, but Adam, it's not going to get any easier. The Big 12, probably the most deep uh, and competitive conference in in uh, college basketball this year uh, with what, you know, what Kansas, Baylor, Texas, um, we'll see what Texas does. You know, they won last night. Shout out to them after what their coach did. Um, but I, I agree with you. Tanner Groves is going to be a huge difference maker, but in, in my honest opinion, I think that especially once you get into big 12 play, this team's only going to go as far as Grant Sheffield or Sherfield can take him. 
Um, he's been a real shining spot this year. Uh, probably he's hands down the best player on this basketball team. In terms of what is, you know, you've got a, written on here that, uh, on the script, what is success? What can you label as a success for the 2022-2023 season? For me, it's as simple as you make the NCAA tournament. You didn't make it last year. Um, if you don't make the NCAA tournament this year, which I think right now Joe Lunardi's got Oklahoma listed as one of the last four in, if you don't make the tournament this year, I think that's a bad season, um, in my honest opinion. I know that Porter Mosier's got a couple of elite recruits coming in next season that's going to help out uh, with what's in the cupboard right now. But I think you've got to find a way to make the uh, make the field of, of 64. Uh, you've got to be playing in March. The way you phrase that is interesting because you said – make the tournament this year because you didn't make it last year as if the expectation is, is lowered in a sense. I know we talked about that a little bit last week with football in the sense that, okay, we had a six and six year. So now the bar is lowered going into 2023. And I, I said in football, that's absolutely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Basketball is a little bit different story, of course. And I don't know necessarily that this team has much to get past maybe a first round game in the, in the tournament, much less make the tournament, but are, are we lowering our standards based off of what happened last year? Because last year was a bad season. Missing the tournament in any year at OU, maybe like once out of every eight years should that happen. But yeah, missing any year, I think, is, is a bad result. So I'm not necessarily lowering my standard based off of what happened last year. Yeah, I just think that at the end of the day, with uh, with you know with this coaching staff, with this program, especially with the recent success that this program has had over the last 20 to 25 years, OU fans should expect to see their basketball team playing in March, you know, in, in you know, in, in the uh, NCAA tournament. So um, I'm not lowering my expectations. Uh, if Oklahoma doesn't make the tournament, I'm not going to say, oh, well, you know, screw it. It's basketball. It's Porter Moser. It's just his second year. You know, this team isn't as talented as some. Like, no, uh, I know that you're probably a middle of the road or maybe, you know, a, you know, closer to the bottom tier in the Big 12 as opposed to the top, but find a way to play in March. Find a way to at least get a berth in the NCAA tournament. If you lose in the first round, okay, that, that's fine. That's what people expect, but they also expect you to be playing in the dance once that time of the year comes around. Yeah, I guess I just I expect more out of a program. That, you know, you that traditionally behind Kansas was the best program in the Big Twelve in the sure. Big Eight for years and years and years, mm-hmm. and um, you know they've been a bottom of the pack type of team uh, for most of the time uh, I, over the last five, six years or so since Buddy left. Yeah, I I will say, Adam, though, one thing that is very encouraging, at least from where I'm standing, and again, I haven't watched every single minute of OU basketball this year, but I think that one of the things that we are seeing is, I think the Porter Moser is proving, again, that he's a hell of a coach. I think he's, I think that one of the things that we've noticed, you know, we don't have a Buddy Heald or we don't have a Blake Griffin or a Trey Young, so finding a way to maximize and get every bit out of the players that you have on your roster right now in terms of performance, I think Porter Moser is continuing to find ways to do that. B. John Cortez has had some nice moments this year. I talked about Grant Shearfield, uh, the, the Groves brothers. They play well in spurts. Uh, so I, I think that going into Big 12 play, continuing to squeeze every ounce out of those guys that you can, um, I expect Porter Moser to be able to do that. It's just a matter of I, I just simply don't think it's going to be enough uh, to be competitive night in and night out in the Big 12. Grant Sherfield is definitely more reliable and consistent so far compared to, you know, our, our lead guy in Mo Gibson last year. So absolutely. I, yeah. I, I think that's a huge plus. And I think he does it without, um, not, not that this is a bad thing about Austin Reeves, but he scores in volume without, you know, dominating the ball necessarily. Other guys are still able to get involved there. So yeah. I like that. I think Jacob Groves so far has taken a step forward. 
I'm a little hesitant to see if that continues once we get to some better competition, some mm-hmm. bigger, taller, stronger guys. Um, but you would like to see another uh, perimeter guy step up. You know, is it yeah. Joe Bamisal? Is it CJ Nolan? Like somebody needs to step up and say, hey, I can be a reliable 10 points, 15 mm-hmm. points on, on, on a nightly basis. So, and, and, you know, Adam, I think we're getting into the stretch of the season where we're about to really see if steps were truly made with the Groves brothers. You know, we, we all remember it time and time again. Once they started playing some of the elite competition in the Big 12, they just simply got bullied inside and got pushed around and, you know, the, the paint was, I mean, it was, it was basically, it was a layup, uh, you know, uh, on, on that end of the floor for the opposition. So we'll see, uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully you can figure out a way to uh, uh, close out the month of December, pick up a big non-conference win against Florida and give you some momentum going into conference play. But yeah. let's talk about the juice. The, the <laughs> exactly, yeah. Nobody really cares about this. Let's talk about where the team could potentially be playing. Exactly. Yeah, we only got a couple minutes left to cover this, but uh, just got released today. I think it was first reported by Kerry Murdoch that the new arena that was proposed um, in the uh, kind of over by I-35 and uh, North Norman area, right there north of the Target and all that, it's kind of back on the table now. Um, I got an email today actually with the yeah. survey, so I went through and filled that out. A whole bunch of questions about you know what I might pay to sit in certain areas, what types of events I'd like to see there. Um, they showed a lot of comparisons to other, you know, renderings of newer arenas and clubs and um, entertainment districts like Texas Live that we're all familiar with down near uh, Jerry World. So really interesting. I, I hope that's able to pass. I think if you're in Norman, definitely need that to pass. Um, that's that would be huge for the city and and what you're able to do, what you're able to go eat, where you want to go drink, get entertained in in Norman. That'd be huge. And I think it'd be a great fit for OU basketball. It's not on campus. No, but like it, it doesn't have to be a forever home for OU basketball. It could be something that allows OU to stand out in the SEC as, hey, we've got one of the best arenas. <clears throat> students aren't necessarily showing up now. Let's make a smaller environment. We don't need as many students at that point going forward. So it could be a huge win for OU and allows them to get off of campus. And maybe in that 10 years or so that OU is playing off campus, you have the ability to go do some major renovations or maybe demolish altogether Lloyd Noble Center, find a mm-hmm. uh, you know home on campus at some point in the future, but would at the very least be a nice option uh, for the Sooners to have. I absolutely hate the LNC. Let's just speed this process up, Adam. Let's pay somebody to burn the damn thing down. Hate that. Hate <laughs> it. We've, we've worked in it time and time again um, over the last few years, but Um, you know, all all kidding aside, you know, there's been, there's been so many suggestions over the last few years, you know, what can be done to make the, you know, make the fan experience better, uh, within the LNC. I think that they pretty much tapped out the LNC and the capabilities of what they can do, uh, to make it more enjoyable for fans in terms of the in-game, you know, atmosphere. I know a lot of people have tossed around the idea of McCaslin. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of the women's basketball team playing McCaslin. I think that that could be a true, you know, home court advantage, um, but McCaslin for me is not a, is not a very good, you know, long-term solution in terms of men's basketball. So that brings us back to the new, uh, arena that's been talked about for the last couple of years. It's already been shot down once, uh, by the, the city of Norman, surprise, surprise. But w- when you talk about, you know, Adam, not just for, you know, not just for recruiting, not just for the current team, but when you look at, you know, the, the citizens of Norman, when you look at the the students that are on campus right now, and I think that the Texas Live example is a really really good one. It's a glue. It's a good blueprint uh, for for you know the university and for the city of Norman to follow. Yes, I know it's away. It's a few miles away from campus, but if you put a brand new arena 
in that area, kind of out there, you know, in between Robinson and Tecumseh, you build something out there, you surround it with two or three restaurants, you put a couple of sports bars out there. You don't think that that's going to drive in a tremendous amount of revenue, not just from the college kids or maybe some of the people that live out there, you know, closer to Highway 9. They're going to travel up there for that. But also, what's been the biggest bitch that, that we've heard from, from fans, you know, during our time, you know, trying to sell the place out is when you talk to people up in Oklahoma City, you talk to people up in Edmond, it's too far of a drive. You know, we can't get off work and, you know, fight the traffic down to Norman, fight the Highway 9 crowd, get to a game, get the kids home, get them in bed, get them ready for school the next morning. So if you put something in a more central location right there in North Norman, much more easily accessible from the metro area, uh, it's a new growing part of town. I think that it makes all the sense in the world to build that arena, let OU basketball, both men and women, occupy it. You can have concerts there, let Norman North, let Norman High have access to it, whether they want to play their crosstown uh, game there. You know, you do your graduations, your concert, make it a make it a spectacle, make it a place where it's not just appealing to go to a basketball game, but it's encouraging to, you know, other forms of entertainment. This is a place that we want to go perform, whether you're a comedian, an artist, a band. You know, if you're going to spend the money to do this, blow the thing up. Doesn't necessarily need to be a twelve thousand, you know, uh, seat arena. Shrink it down, make it seven, eight, maybe closer to nine. Make it more exclusive. Make it nice. Uh, fill it up with premium seating. We can we can definitely at least agree on that. And just make it something to where the fan experience is a lot more enjoyable, and people look forward to going to these games and not saying, "Well, I know it's OU Kansas, but damn it, I got to go to the LNC." Hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest thing there is right now, the only thing that OU has to sell for a basketball game is winning. And OU doesn't win a whole lot in basketball. It's kind of 500. So being able to say, hey, you're going to an OU basketball game and you're also going to a restaurant before and you're going bowling sure. afterwards and you've got the bar afterwards and you've got all this other entertainment. you got atmosphere there. You're selling a lot more than just a win or a loss. You're selling an experience. Program like a, exactly. You're selling experience. You have premium seating in areas. You have a whole lot going on in the arena that is is different than what you had before. So mm-hmm. that would be absolutely huge uh, just for attendance uh, at OU because winning and losing is not something you want to sell. Yeah. You can't well, control that. And Adam, you know, you, you can speak on this as well as anybody. You know, you live in Oklahoma City. You've been to Thunder Games. You know, we've been very blessed as Thunder fans to be able to go uh, to, to games, you know, where the team is a serious contender to win the NBA championship, you know, back during the Harden, the Durant, the Westbrook days. But one of the one of my absolute favorite things about going to an NBA game, it doesn't matter how good the product is on the court. It's all of the stuff that's going on in the arena outside of the actual game itself. The, the what's going on in the t- you know during the media timeouts, what's going on during halftime, pregame, the music, the performers, the cheerleaders, all of the stuff that goes on. And it, and it you know um, it's a, it's a great uh, I don't know what another word for supplement or it, it's a great complementary to to the actual product that's going on in the court. So OU doesn't have the luxury of selling a Kansas basketball, a Duke, a North Carolina, when you've got a team that's, you know, fighting on the verge of, you know, being a sub 500 basketball team, you've got to figure out other ways, uh, other things to go on around the game itself to, to make it be much more uh, appealing uh, to a fan to want to attend your game. Absolutely. So I'm hopeful to see that progress (laughs) vote on yes on that. Make that happen. If you live in Norman, uh, and hopefully we'll have more updates to share on that over the coming weeks, months, mm-hmm. um, potentially years there. But 
Um, that's going to be a wrap for us tonight. Hopefully we'll have a lot more fun, interesting things to talk about new commits, um, new developments there on the OU football side, uh, next week as well. Until then, make sure to follow us on YouTube by searching the mainline podcast and finding us on Twitter as well at the mainline pod. And we will see everyone again next week for another episode of the mainline.